Hi. Hi, Hi Nicole. Um, look, I wanted to welcome you to Parapods, our, um, our program, uh, City of Parramatta Libraries. Oh, I better start again. Okay. Actually, I better start from the beginning because <laughs> I'm getting a bit... Uh, a trick I've learned. All right. Is that you clap just before because it makes this spike in the audio. You can yeah, easily see it. Okay. Um, Okay, so welcome to City of Parramatta Libraries Parapods. Um, today it's my great pleasure to welcome Dr. Nicole Weeks, who is a psychologist with a PhD and a Master's in Organisational uh, Psychology. She has been studying, researching and teaching psychology for 10 years since completing her undergraduate studies. Nicole is working with resilience research and training systems founded by Dr. Monique Crane at Macquarie University. You can find out more about this at occupationalresilience.com.au. Nicole is also researching family resilience at Canteen and researches parenting issues, which she shares on her website, www.practicalresearchparenting.com. So today, Nicole, I understand that um, uh, sleep issues for parents and um, infants and children is actually crucial to the well-being of um, families. Mm. And so today we really wanted to ask you a little bit about your research since you're an expert in this field. So firstly, um, how do parents establish good sleeping habits with their children and their infants? Um, so probably the single most important thing is a pleasant and consistent bedtime routine. Um, this is a series of events or activities that happen just before bed. So studies have found that when parents take their children through the same bedtime routine every night, their children tend to sleep earlier, wake less frequently at night and for less time and get more nighttime sleep overall. Mm -hmm. So in terms of what's included in the routine, the most important thing is that it includes activities that you and your child enjoy doing together. Especially near the end of the routine, it's good to have quiet activities like reading, reading rather than high energy play. The inclusion of language-based activities like reading, singing or storytelling can also have additional cognitive benefits for children. Also, a bath can be useful because one of the things that signals sleepiness is the drop in temperature that happens as we fall asleep. Mm. Part of the effectiveness of bedtime routines is that their repeated association with sleepiness and sleep makes it easier for children to fall asleep after a bedtime routine. However, with babies, there's no association yet. So chances are, after the routine, they still won't sleep. I suggest two approaches to building a consistent routine. Firstly, figure out what your child tends to find enjoyable and calming, not exciting. This might be a certain type of pat, a bath, a massage or a feed. Incorporate that into the routine. The second is to have, the, have a cycle at the end of the routine. So when my second child was a baby, my cycle was that she would go in the baby carrier until she was relaxed and then she would get a pat in her cot and I'd go out. More often than not, she would cry. And then we'd go back to the pat, and if that didn't work, which often it didn't, um, we'd go back to the carrier and start over again. Mm. Um, so often it would take many rotations, but as time went on, the pat would be, start to be paired with sleep more and more often until it became associated with comfort and sleep. Mm. 
And a third thing that I should probably mention there also is making sure that your baby is tired when you're doing the bedtime routine, that mm. it is time for them to sleep. Because if it's if they're not ready to sleep, then they're not going to sleep. Yeah, of course. Um, I'd also like to challenge the advice that many parents will hear that they should never feed or hug their baby to sleep. It's true that these activities can form a very nice habit that babies will resist changing. Um, but it can also... and they can also increase the likelihood of night wakings where the parents work in too. But sometimes, especially in the early months, these habits can also be very pleasant for the parents too and sometimes feel like the only efficient way to help their baby to sleep. The older your child gets, the easier it's going to be to communicate any changes you want to make to these habits. So if feeding your child to sleep is working for you and your baby, I believe mothers should be supported in their decision to do that. Mm. Well, I see Nicole, so... Really, it's what works for you. Very much so, mm. yeah. Yep. And as babies get older, it gets easier to make the changes you need to make. Mm -hmm. So if it's working for you now, don't let other people tell you that it's wrong. Yeah, I imagine that first six months is, is really the crucial struggle time. Yeah, they can be really, really trying for parents, and so adding any more pressure than they already have is, is not, not necessary. Yeah, really. not constructive. Yeah, exactly. Nicole... What are the consequences for parents and children when they just don't get enough sleep? Um, well, I want to start by talking about what not getting enough sleep means. I don't want to stress people out unnecessarily. Um, so there seems to be a lot of focus on sleeping through the night and charts showing the average amount of sleep that children need. These don't determine whether you or your child are getting enough sleep. Um, on average, babies and children tend to wake up about three times a night, some more, some less. Some settle back to sleep so their parents are unaware they've even woken. Others don't settle back to sleep and their parents are painfully aware. Um, night wakings are normal and don't necessarily mean your child or you are not getting enough sleep. Okay. Um, so I don't like to use sleeping through the night as a measure of good sleep, I guess that's what I'm saying. Also, while knowing how much sleep babies and children tend to get at different ages can provide useful information, um, there's also a lot of variation. So what? So if your child is sleeping less than average, it isn't necessarily a problem. Parents generally get to know what their baby or child is like after a particularly bad sleep or after they skip a nap. If these behaviours start appearing soon after sleep or throughout the day when they're not due for a nap, at this point sleep dep deprivation may be an issue. Also, as parents, we tend to know when we're not able to function and do the things that we usually want to be able to do during the day. Mm -hmm. At that point, you know that the sleep, sleep dep deprivation is becoming an issue for you. You mm -hmm. start stumbling over words and all sorts of things. Yes, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> I've seen that with my daughter recently. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so sleep is really important for brain function, including mood regulation, memory, learning, and even immune function. Research has found that sleep deprivation can often lead to mood disorders like depression, so it's not just the other way around. Mm -hmm. Sleep deprivation also weakens the immune system, making you more susceptible to illness and causes a lot of accidents on the roads and in the workplace. Long-term sleep deprivation has even been associated with increased risk of heart disease, kidney disease, high blood pressure, diabetes and stroke. Parents can probably identify that sleep deprivation... <laughs> Parents can probably identify that sleep deprivation reduces patients uh -huh. and make us less responsive to our children. 
That's when we're less able to identify and react appropriately when our child wants to play or sleep or cuddle. Responsiveness is really important to building a secure attachment with our child, so over time this can be a big problem. And for children, repeated sleep deprivation can result in developmental delays. Wow, so it's really um, uh, a question of really persevering and and also, you know, once again, finding the right path for you as a parent. Exactly, yeah, that's right. And finding how much sleep your baby needs and when they're going to take it and how they're going to take it, yeah. Mm, and it always gets better eventually. Yes, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> are some infants and children just bad sleepers? Um, there are definitely individual differences in sleep from birth. I don't like the term bad sleepers, but yes, everyone has their own sleep idiosyncrasies and you need to figure out what your child's are. So if you ask a group of adults, you'll find that some need more sleep to function than others. I'm one of those. Some are light sleepers and get woken by anything. Others are really hard to wake, but when they do, they have trouble falling back asleep. Baby sleep especially, but child sleep too is different from adult sleep in that the brain goes through different wave patterns in different sequences. But you'll notice that a lot of these idiosyncrasies that we see in adults do start from a very early age. Mm -hmm. Also, the younger the child, the wider the variation in the, the amount of sleep babies take and when they take it. So, for example, a study of about 400 Swiss children found that one-month-old babies slept anywhere between 9 and 19 hours in 24 hours. Mm -hmm. So some were awake for only 5 hours, while others were only asleep for 9 hours across the whole 24 hours. So that's a huge variation. Gosh, yes. By one year of age, this narrowed to 11 to 16 and a half hours sleep for most babies. Mm -hmm. But still, you can't look at your neighbour and see how long their babies sleeping at the same age and know that that's the same amount for your child. There's going to be mm -hmm. a huge variation. Some children are particularly sensitive to sounds or smells or textures, and this can make it hard for them to fall asleep because they're getting woken by subtle changes. Others seem to find the feeling of sleepiness and falling asleep uncomfortable and will almost always cry before falling asleep. Some children have more of an issue with, than others with separation anxiety, which can also make sleep challenging. So children are very different in their sleep tendencies and preferences, and it can take time and a bit of trial and error to figure out what works best for your baby or child. Mm. Yeah, I see, Nicole. And, and actually, the, um, the lesson here is that, you know, if you're a, a young parent and you're at, um, you know, sort of um, a group, you're in, mm. say, the, the parents' group, and there are uh, you discussing things mm. like you know comparative sleep times not to be dismayed and uh, not to feel that it's competition and your child <laughs> yeah. has to sleep through the night and has yeah. to sleep as many hours as uh, as another child just mm. a very individual thing yeah that's right they're all different and also what what some mums will try and tell everyone that it works perfectly mm. it may work for their child and not for yours so yeah. it's just a matter of sort of trying many different things and getting to know your child Child. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. Um, Nicole, where do sleep-deprived de parents go to seek help? Um, there are so many resources, online books and services. I haven't examined them all. Um, so here's what I look for when assessing a resource as to whether mm -hmm. it's going to be helpful. Firstly, I check the philosophy match. Um, for example, 70% of parents say that they can't or won't do controlled crying. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there are enough approaches out there now that you don't have to if you don't want to. So check first before buying, borrowing or booking into a service whether that's the approach that they take or whether their approach is likely to fit with the approach you want to take. Um, secondly, I checked that the approach fits with the cause of the sleep issue. Um, there are three main causes of sleep issues physical, emotional, and behavioral. Mm. I have a free podcast episode outlining these called The Three Main Causes of Child Sleep Problems in 10 Minutes. Mm. Um, That also outlines what sort of approaches fit each of those different causes. Finally, I'm also wary of books or services that suggest imposing a strict feeding or sleeping schedule. Mm -hmm. A lot of evidence points to the importance of responsive parenting and responding to hunger and tired signals is an important component of that, I believe. Mm -hmm. I would never stick strictly to a feeding schedule, um, but they can be useful to help you learn the difference between seeking sustenance and seeking comfort, which might be satisfied in other ways. I've also found sleep schedules useful in the past, but only when you first, only when they first ask you to assess how much sleep your child actually needs, because there's a lot of variation, and I don't believe one schedule can ever fit all children of the same age. Mm-hmm. So I'd use these three points to assess any books or services. I'm not completely familiar with the practices of different services. In Sydney, Tresillian and Caratane provide a lot of free services for new parents. There's also a lot of free information on my website, um, which was mentioned at the start, and also the Raising Children Network, which is Mm raisingchildren.net.au. Thanks, Nicole. I know that you've done a lot of extensive research in this area. What are the three most important tips that you would give to concerned parents? Okay, so firstly I'd say that learning when your child is ready for sleep is is really important. Mm -hmm. So you can't make your child sleep. We can't even make ourselves sleep. All we can do is set up the right conditions at the right time. I have a couple of free videos and a free email series that help parents to understand sleep biology and figure out when their baby or child is ready for sleep. The very, very short version is that the longer children are awake, the easier it is for them to fall asleep. And bedtime struggles can often be the result of parents trying to make their children sleep when they don't have adequate sleep pressure to do so. They're just not ready to sleep yet. Um, So that's one process, but it interacts with the circadian rhythm. If you can get your child in bed at a similar time each night, that helps to make sure your children get tired at about the same time each day, each night and day. So if your listeners want to access those videos, they're available at practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash first step. Secondly, a very common concern is night wakings. As I mentioned before, it's very normal for children and even adults to wake multiple times a night. What you want to work on is not stopping them from waking, but helping them to learn to fall back asleep without your help. Yes. The foundations for this actually happening, actually, the foundations for this actually happen during the day and before they go to sleep. So, firstly, the soothing bed routine that we mentioned earlier. there's other factors as well yeah so firstly the soothing bed routine that we've talked about another factor is how emotionally available parents are at bedtime when parents are more emotionally available at bedtime their children tend to sleep better at night 
This is different between parents, so more emotionally available parents get woken less at night, but also within but also within parents. So we all have good days and bad days. And those bad days, when we're less emotionally available, we're also more likely to get working at night, which is just what we don't need because when we're less emotionally available, we're probably more tired as well. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there, was a couple of, there were a couple of journal articles um, that found this by Chetty and colleagues at Pennsylvania State University, and things that rated as high emotional availability were sensitivity, so recognising and responding with warmth and emotional connectedness to children's signals, structuring, which involved not asking children to do more than they were capable of, but also setting appropriate limits. Thirdly, non-intrusiveness, which referred to respecting the child's autonomy and personal space, and finally non-hostility, which referred to not showing irritability and anger. I have a free downloadable on the skills children need to learn to be able to do to fall back asleep by themselves. It's called Three Skills to Teach During the Day for Better Sleep at Night. Oh, I see. So my final and third tip <laughs> is I want to reassure mothers and fathers listening that you are the expert on your child. A parent's intuition is not purely hormonal. It's actually something that builds with practice. A lot of research has gone into when where intuition comes from and when it's right versus wrong. Mm-hmm. So as I understand it, intuition is actually an amazing ability we have to pick up on subtle cues And in environments where we get clear, immediate feedback, we learn to associate those cues with outcomes. So when your baby is first born, you hardly know him or her. And you can't read the cues. You have no experience with what they mean. However, as you watch your baby day in and day out, hear the cries, try many things that don't work, and some that do, you build your ability to know what your baby's subtle cues mean and how you can best help at that time. If you're feeling lost, some practices that might help are firstly self-forgiveness because mistakes are all part of the learning process. It really is trial and error at the start to build up that intuition, what becomes intuition later. It can be very self-judgmental. Yeah, that's true. It can. Yeah, that's right. So forgiving yourself is really important. Um, And secondly, when you can, try to be present with your child focused on the here and now. If you're always thinking about the past or the future, you're more likely to miss the cues and possibly even the outcomes, so that intuition will build slower. Mm. Gosh, that's good advice, Nicole. Mm, I, um, I know that um, we've been asking all our guests um, to, uh, to tell us why they love libraries, and uh, I'm sure you've got something to share with us as well. Also, um, really good books. I know uh, we do lots of story times at the library and uh, I know um, reading to children before bedtime is a really lovely way to calm children down. So uh, perhaps you could um, give us a few, uh, a, little bit of, a little bit of advice about the sort of books you should, we should be reading to our children. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I haven't read them all, and I, there's heaps out there. <laughs> As you'd know, you've probably got a whole shelf oh in your gosh. library dedicated to them. Um, Listeners, we have a library full of books. <laughs> yes. Um, but I'd advise that you use the same criteria to judge them, as I mentioned earlier. A couple of books that I do recommend for new parents are Becoming Mum 
by mm-hmm. Coa Whittingham. She's a researcher up in um, Queensland. This is the only book I know of that helps parents with the psychological transition to motherhood. A lot of them are working on the practical aspects of motherhood, mm-hmm. but this is actually helping mothers learn what it is to be a mother, I guess, in a way. It uses evidence-based approaches and very practical exercises to help women to learn to meet their own needs and connect with their children Mm -hmm. more mindfully. I found this really helpful because I guess in the first year of life I was sort of waiting for my life to get back to normal. I was waiting Mm -hmm. till they were old enough to do those activities I used to love doing. Mm -hmm. And reading this book helped me to realise that I didn't... It wasn't a waiting game this was my new life mm-hmm. and how was I going to incorporate those activities into my new life yeah, that's rather really, than waiting. That's a really interesting point because, you know, yeah. your, your life is changed forever mm. when you have children. Yeah, absolutely, that's right. And so the sooner you can make that new life into the life you want to be living, the, the happier and healthier you're going to be. Yeah, and it, and it is... Um, very enriching you know having Mm. a family but I mean it's also hard work Mm. yeah absolutely yeah that's right yeah yeah and I feel that this helps this book um, especially as it um, works on the mindfulness as well helps you to get the most Mm -hmm. that you can out of the parenting experience as well yeah, it sounds um, good. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, so also the Sensible, Sensible Sleep Solution, A Guide to Your Baby's First Year by Sarah Blunden. Mm-hmm. What I like about this book is I know that Sarah is an academic practitioner and so her advice is evidence-based and practical. Mm-hmm. Um, this book provides a lot of practical and gentle advice on sleep in the first year. I also like the Dream Baby Guide because it Um, has quite unique recommendations around how to communicate a new sleep routine and expectations to your child, which I had a lot of success with with my first child, but I'm actually hesitant to recommend it because as far as I know, it's not as evidence-based and it's written in a very repetitive and sometimes condescending way. Thank you, Nicole. That's actually um, obviously got some uh, value, but it's good to have a bit of a a critique Hmm. that's realistic. Um, Gosh, that has been... So interesting. I know I certainly want people in my family with young children to listen to this podcast. And uh, as I was saying before, um, as a mum, we would like to ask you um, what you love about libraries. Mm, Yeah, so um, as a mum, I love libraries for the reading, singing and dancing events and friendly space to foster a love of learning reading and learning in our children i've had many happy times in libraries with my kids that's really good that's exactly what we want people to feel Mm. and families to come in and feel comfortable and really welcomed Mm. and embraced we're actually putting out a few youtube videos with especially for the children Mm. and um, families with a little bit of uh, some you know uh, song rhyme and uh, Mm. also um quick reviews of um, children's books. Fantastic. So watch out mm-hmm. for that. Nicole, thank you so much. That's been absolutely fascinating and we really appreciate your time in coming in. Mm, thank um, you so much for having me. I know that um, we also wanted to mention um, that um, you can find out more about Nicole's research on child sleep at www.practicalresearchparenting.com and access those free resources by clicking on free downloads and resources. So thank you for being here, everybody, and we'll see you next time. And thanks again, Nicole. Thank you.
The material presented in this podcast is for general information only. Any opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the guest speaker and do not necessarily represent the views of City of Parramatta Council. City of Parramatta Council is not responsible for any injury, loss or damage which you may directly or indirectly suffer in connection with this podcast.